Let's get to it. What do you say? Um, now, we are in the second work. Our second week, we're in the fourth week of our series, God at Work, which is our series through the book of Galatians. Now, if you haven't been with us up to this point, you might want to go into our website. You can listen to all the sermons up to this point, but I will recap for you real fast. Paul went up to the churches of Galatia, which is in the, the uh, above Israel kind of area, a bunch of Gentile area, and he plants churches, and he spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Salvation is by, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they're saved by. They get this. Churches begin to grow. Gentiles and Jews coming together in faith, and the churches begin to grow, but Somewhere along the line, since the church, this was new, the New Testament was being written, hence the book of Galatians. At this time, they didn't have the whole New Testament, all of the teachings and stuff like this. So it was a little bit messy. And some folks had this difficulty with the law and grace. And they said, okay, you're saved by God's grace through faith. We get that. But what about the law? And they said, well, you have to have the law. And so they said, you're saved by Jesus plus Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus religion, Jesus plus being a Jew, Jesus plus circumcision, whatever it was, they were adding things to the gospel. And this made Paul a little upset, right? Or a lot upset, actually, if you read the book. And he's, he's like, he's steaming, like little, you know, steam coming out of his ears. And he writes this letter, he's like, whoa, don't give up on the grace of God, All right? Don't fall back into that. And so up to this point, as we read this letter, Paul makes amazing case for grace, right? And then he talks about that is uh, what grace, how it works in the Christian life. And then last week we um, we had this uh, in salvation. We talked about how God works in salvation, and, and I did this little grace lab, which was a lot of fun. Sorry if you listen to an audio, you're going to have to do your own experiments, but it was a lot of fun. And we saw in this that. Jesus plus anything really isn't the good news. That the gospel is Jesus. Jesus alone is enough to save us. Right? I'm saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul makes this point. Now, if you were the Galatians and you were reading this letter, and you say, oh, well, God is at work through grace, and, and, and God is at work in salvation through Christ, and Christ is enough. The next question that would pop into your mind then is, well, what then is the purpose of the law? Right? Why do we have it? And Paul really addresses that in today's text. Now, you'll notice in your outlines, your sermon notes, that there are more than three points. And that just irks me as a, as a preacher because you're supposed to have three-point sermons, right? It's just like pounded into your head. Like, you can't make it in three points. Don't make it at all. But here's the deal. When I was reading through this text, this passage, Paul was making a point. And, and, and I, I think that we need to, to look at this. I mean, Paul just hammers it home to these folks that, that faith is essential in our lives. And where the law fits in, you have to understand what faith is all about. And so he, step by step by step, shows a superiority of faith, not just in the salvation of a Christian's life, but in the sanctification of a Christian's life. The hope that we have and the life that we live, also realizing that Jesus is truly enough. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And... Um, Let's get to the text. The first things, I, um, if you have a Bible, by the way, oh, I forgot. We have to do remember Bible memory verse. I'm so glad that I have slides. Before we get to that, it's so important that we remember the scripture because if you leave here and the Bible isn't in you, isn't part of your spirit, it can just flutter away. 
But when we memorize the word of God, it says like in scripture that we are hiding it in our hearts. And when we do that, the most amazing thing, we'll talk about it today, is it starts to transform us and it's powerful in our lives. And so this is why we do that. Last week, we memorized Galatians 2.21. And it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And that certainly makes sense to the passage last week. Now, if you remember that from last week, you could say it along with me. And if not, and you're adventurous, why don't you say it along with me also? I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's Galatians 2.21. Very good. Even better than first service today. So well done, you guys. Um, if you... We didn't have a chance to memorize that last week and would like the memory verse card. It is on the back by the sound booth. We have all of those out there for you. Now, this week is a difficult one. It's Galatians 3.24. And just forget the 25 part. Just pretend you don't see that. It is verse 25, but you don't need to memorize. If you can actually get to verse 24, you'll also see 25. So uh, Galatians 3.24 is what we're going to memorize today. And this is what it says. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And all this will make a whole lot more sense after today's message, hopefully. So, very good. So, there's a lot of points, so I'm going to kind of move through them, because I know the Broncos are playing some point today, and uh, you all want to see that. So, Paul goes into this, and he makes a description, or a, 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 a difference between faith and law, Right? And the people of Galatia were having that battle, weren't they? How are we saved? How are we made right by God? And how do we live for God? And the whole problem was, is that law was getting mixed in in the wrong way. And Paul helped separate by by pointing out, listen, these are the things that usually people look to for law. And if you look... If we look to the law to provide us these things, we recognize that, one, it's not biblical. It's never happened in the Old Testament. This is not how God works. But also, it's not effective. And that there is a different way that God brings about the best things in our faith. Right? And so then we can understand what the law is for. And so he begins by this. So the first thing is that the Spirit comes by faith, not law. Now, this is, this is a really powerful truth, if you think about it. The Spirit of God... Right, is going to rest within the people of God. Right, and oftentimes, when as Christians uh, and as people, just as humans, we often think God is going to hang out with the people that are really holy. Right, and in our minds, that means that they act really good. Right, and so, and the evidence that God is hanging out with you is that God is hanging out with you, and that's the Spirit. And so, what happened in the New Testament, in the early church, that because God was showing something brand new to validate that, oftentimes the Holy Spirit would manifest himself in uh, very obvious ways, right? They didn't have the New Testament, right? They didn't have the full counsel of God. So oftentimes people would, uh, would, uh, would have prophecy, right? And would proclaim the words of God because they didn't have the Bible yet, right? That's a pretty obvious thing. Oftentimes they would validate the teachings of the, of the, uh, uh, the apostles by healing people. So it was very obvious to them these guys spoke with God's authority because they could do things that people couldn't do unless God was with them, right? 
And so you also had Pentecost, right, where the Holy Spirit came down in very visible ways. People were speaking in new languages and all this kind of stuff. Same thing happened when the gospel came to the Gentiles through uh, the, the army officer Cornelius, right? The Gentile and the Holy Spirit shows up in a very visible way, also showing that God has, has uh, he's validated them. He's part of their faith, right? And so the Holy Spirit is there. But, you know, the same Holy Spirit is still within us. He manifests himself oftentimes in a little bit different ways because his work is a little different right now. But he's very much here, and there's evidence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul points back to the fact that they have the Holy Spirit, and he asks them, how did you get the Holy Spirit? What is it that attracted God to hang out with you stinky sinners? Right? And that's really the question. And he says here, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? When did the Holy Spirit show up, he asks. Was it when you were doing everything perfect? Is that when the Holy Spirit showed up in your church and in your life? Or was it you believed the gospel? When you recognized that you weren't doing what God told you to do and in submission to him said, man, I screwed up and I need forgiveness. And by faith, accepting that God forgives. And of course, it's, it's a silly question because everybody there would be like, well, wait a second. That's the gospel. I'm saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It wasn't by the works of the law that we received the Spirit. But, oh yeah, it was by faith. He, he again, punctuates this a couple verses later. He says, so again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? What empowers the Christian life? Has it ever been law? And Paul points them back to it's never been law. It is by God's grace through faith that the Spirit comes with us. The way of thinking about this is the Holy Spirit doesn't hang out with you because you're so cool. Right? God doesn't come and hang out with us because we're, we're so awesome. God hangs out with us because he's so awesome. It is by God's grace through faith. And so if the Spirit comes, it's going to come because by faith. It's God's grace by faith. So the first thing that we usually put up as if you obey the law, if you ask really righteously, then you will have the Holy Spirit's evidence in your life. Paul blows that up and says that's not the point. That's not why the law was given. The law wasn't given so the Spirit could hang out with us, so that we could have God amongst us. If you want that, you need to have faith. And that's the way that God's worked from the beginning. Now, he goes on. If that wasn't the only thing, he says also... The promise comes by faith and not law. Now think about this. You have the Galatians are are wrestling between who are we, right? Do you have to be Jewish in order to be Christian? Do you have to obey by all the laws in order to be a Christian? That was the question. And Paul goes back and says, well, wait a second. What makes the Jewish people a people? Was it the law of God? No. No. The law was given 400 years after the people became a people. What makes the Jewish people a people of promise is just that, a promise and not the law. That's what came first. And the law has never given the promise. That's not the purpose of the law. See, God chose Abraham. He came down. Abraham was a messed up dude, okay? We'll just 
to get that, if you read the Old Testament and you recognize Abraham's life, he wouldn't be qualified according to New Testament qualifications to sit on our board of elders. Isn't that crazy? It's like blow your mind, right? Abraham was a man of faith, though. He recognized that he didn't have all the answers and he believed in a God who did. And though he made mistakes, he followed after that God hard. Right? It was by faith. God didn't give Abraham a law because Abraham was so righteous and had all of, you know, was living the perfect life. The law hadn't been given yet. But God gave a promise. And because of that promise and because Abraham seized that promise by faith, there was a people of God. And the promise of God has always been passed by faith. It has always been clutched by faith, never by law. And so here you have the Galatians wondering, how do we get the promises of God? This promise of salvation? Is it through the works of the law? And Paul says, well, wait a second here. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. He said, if you want to be a child of promise, if you want to receive the promises of God, you've got to do what the people of God have been doing ever since the beginning, since the promise was given. And that is to, to hold to it by faith. So what is faith? Faith is trusting something that you cannot prove. Now, you can have good faith and bad faith, right? A bad faith is trusting in something that can be proven, you just don't want to take the time to do it, right? Or something that really is not very likely and you can't prove it it would be like this i have faith that i'm going to walk outside and my car is going to turn into like a brick of gold and i'm like really wealthy right i can put my faith in that all i want to and i'm i'm believing something that i cannot prove because i'm in here right now but it'd be a foolish faith because there's no reason why my car would turn into a brick of gold right that'd be insane But trusting what we cannot prove is something that you do all the time. Like you all came here this morning. You all sat down in those chairs, right? Not one of you brought in any of your scientific instruments and your screwdrivers and things to test to make sure your chairs could hold your weight. Did you prove that your chair could hold your weight before you sat down in it? No. I mean, that's ridiculous. If somebody lived this life without any type of faith, you'd have to, like, test the floor to make sure the building, you know, was structurally sound so you could walk inside of it. I mean, there are a lot of things that, that... we just have reasonable evidence that says, I can trust this. And most chairs you come across in buildings like this are strong enough to support your weight. So you'd say, I have faith that this tra- chair will tra- support my weight. Though you did not prove it, you trusted it, and you sat down. Right? There is faith. Now, we have faith in, the, in Jesus Christ that he actually came, died, rose again, all that kind of stuff. We have reason to believe in him. But faith does not mean that you don't have doubt. It just means that you trust in spite of the doubt. Because you cannot prove it. And if you can't prove something, there will always be a wedge of doubt. And so he says with the law and the promise, do you know that Jesus is going to come back? Well, I know that by faith, but have I seen him come back? Can I prove it? Can I put Jesus in a test tube and shake him around and be like, you're coming, you know, and see the second coming? Can I see that? No, nobody can. You can't see it and you can't not see it because it hasn't happened yet. So you can either trust it by faith or you can trust that it's not going to happen by faith. And what Paul is saying here is that God has given us a promise. And either by faith you can believe that he's going to keep his promises or by faith you can believe that he's not going to keep his promises. But if by faith you accept that he keeps his promises and you accept those promises, then you're yours. And that's the way the promise has always been passed down, ever since the beginning, right? Not by law. In fact, God has never once said, if you do all of these things, then I'm going to make you my people. But he said, if you believe, 
if you trust me. So if you want the promise of God, much to the chagrin of most religious people, <laughs> you, you don't get the promises of God by obeying a list of rules. And that just speaks against us. We say, what about grace abuse? What about, what about if we... And Paul's saying, regardless of how we might abuse those things, let's talk about how it actually works. And it doesn't work by obeying a group of laws. The promise has never come to us that way. The promise is to a people of faith. So the third thing that he talks about here is then it goes to, well, redemption. All right? Redemption is this. Once we are tainted by sin, we are basically its prisoner. And we recognize that, right? In our lives, there are things that you do that you hate that you do and you try not to do them, but you find yourself doing them despite that. You're like its slave, right? Well, this goes back, the reason for that is we go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. They understood what God wanted and they knew what was right from wrong. And they ate that fruit and that fruit poisoned their ability to discern God's ways, right? At that point, the cord had been cut. The, 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 the scroll on their hearts for the law was wiped clean, right? And it was no longer the finger of God in their life that said, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. It was up to them. And, of course, sometimes we agree with God because we are in his image, so most people say it's wrong to murder, although not all the time do we say that. And most people say it's wrong to steal, and yet there are times that we say, well, it might still be okay to steal. And most people say it's wrong to lie, although there's some times that it's okay to lie, we would say. And the only reason if we do those things is not because we're obeying God, but it's because we're obeying ourselves, because we're writing our own list of right and wrong. Now, the problem is sometimes our lists and God's lists, they differ, right? And, and what happens when they differ, we choose ourselves. We say, this is what I think is right. And we see that in our culture today, where there's a lot of cultural things that are happening right now that are directly against what we see are God's ways in the Bible. And yet we think, well, that doesn't make sense to me. It should be this way. The Bible is backwards. And so we choose our standard of right and wrong, not God's, and it creates problems. Well, the reality is we're a slave to our own mismorality, our own wrong thinking. And, and the Bible talks about we, we have gone that route. And so we do what we think is best and what we think is right. And if we conflict with somebody else and we go to war with them and we hate them and it causes all kinds of divisions and problems, right? But we can't break that law. And when we do, we condemn ourselves. But redemption is about this. Just as a slave is purchased out of slavery, we have been purchased out of that. God has redeemed us from our own wrong ways. He, he paid the price to wipe the slate clean in our heart again. We now, we have a master but we have been redeemed and paid from being our own master because we're pretty lousy masters for ourselves. Let's, let's, let's just admit that. You turn on the evening news, look at humanity running humanity. Is it beautiful? Not always. But God redeemed us. Now, does that redemption come through the law? Does that redemption on the inside where the law is written on their heart, does that happen because we first apply the law to the outside of us? And does it like sink in? No. But that's the promise of religion. That's the lie of religion. Because religion says, here's a list of things that you know you ought to do, and if you just start acting that way, then you'll become that way. And the problem is, like Jesus pointed out, with the Pharisees, who did that better than anybody. He said, it makes them beautiful on the outside, but they rot on the inside. And, and 
Amy and I had that. I shared a story. When we first got married, we went to this very legalistic church, right? And, uh, and it was horrible, and we tried to put all kinds of law on the outside of us, and it just made us uh, miserable on the inside, but it also did not make me any more righteous. All it did is actually make me more of a slave to my own thinking of what's right and wrong. That's all it did. And I was miserable there. And I was condemning myself and I was condemning everybody else around me. And I was pretty ugly. Redemption doesn't come when we apply the law to the outside like some type of coat or something like this where we put on. That's not the purpose of the law. Redemption comes instead by faith. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You get this. Christ paid our way out of the law, not by breaking the law, not by buying off God, but by fulfilling the law and said, I fulfilled it. Now I'm going to pay for you guys. And he paid the penalty that we racked up, all that debt that we racked up between us and God, that really was, uh, it would have cost us our eternities, our souls, our lives to pay that off. And we never really could have. Jesus paid that for us by going to the cross because he was innocent. He died on our behalf. He paid for our sins. And in doing so, he redeemed us, which means that sin no longer owns us, which is a powerful thing. That is what Jesus did. Now, Jesus didn't do that for the law keepers because there weren't any. Otherwise, it would be a pretty lonely job. In fact, we talked about last week, if righteousness could be gained by keeping the law, then Jesus died for nothing. Very important. So if we look to the law to bring us redemption, if I'm, a, if, I'm a, if I'm a dirty sinner and I recognize I'm a dirty sinner, I can't just stop and say, okay, right now I'm going to apply all of God's laws to my life and that will make me right. It can't do it. It's like this. I am a pretty good law-abiding citizen and then I go out and I murder somebody, cold blood, kill them, right? And then I'm like, oh, I stand condemned. I'm a bad, I'm a bad citizen. And from that point on, I I commit to myself, I will be a good citizen from this point on. And I am. And I keep all the laws of our land. I can't go to the judge later and say, you can't throw me in prison. I mean, yeah, I murdered that dude, and I was bad. But I'm not bad anymore. He would say, well, that's great that you're good now, but you have to pay for the crimes you committed. Applying the law to my life now does nothing to alleviate my guilt from previous things. But Jesus has done that. He paid for my sins. He has redeemed me. I am no longer under that curse, nor long am I under its mastery. And that comes from the beginning by faith. In fact, it says, for his written curse is anyone who hung on a pole, right? Jesus took on that curse for us, very much in Scripture. So we have redemption that comes by faith. How about this? He keeps going on. He says, also, your inheritance comes by faith. I hope by this point, as you're reading this, I imagine the Galatians were, and I was, as I was reading this in study, it's like Paul is just like hammering it home, how we need faith, how we need grace. Not only is, it, is our, our redemption, but, but also our inheritance. Think how amazing that is. Our inheritance is this, that uh, we are the recipients, not just of the promise, right, but all of the things the promise brings. And those things, you think about the Christian life where uh, religion will tell you the better you are, the more of God's blessing that you're going to have, right? The more of his inheritance you're going to have. That's what it tells us, right? The, the more that you abide by law, 
Okay? The more of God's inheritance you get, the more of the promise is yours to keep. Is that the way that it works? And Paul points out, he says, no. He says, for if the inheritance depends upon the law, then it no longer depends upon the promise. Right? So get this. Abraham, did he deserve to be the one through whom God would create a people? Would he, did he deserve to be the one that, that, that a whole new nation would come out of his? That, you know, did he deserve that? No. He didn't deserve it. Abraham didn't do anything that God said, well, here's my guy, better than everybody else. He's the one. He's the one that, that he doesn't get the promise because I'm giving it to him out of my grace. He earned it. Abraham wasn't that way. Abraham received the promise of God because God unilaterally said, I would like to give you something, and I swear I will do it. Abraham received it by simply saying, okay, God, I trust you, because he's not stupid. He knew that God keeps his word. The promise has always been passed down and it's received by faith, and so the inheritance is always passed down and received by faith. It's an amazing thing. In fact, the law didn't even exist till 400 years after the inheritance was promised. Now, how fascinating that is. The inheritance does not depend upon the law. But it says it no longer depends upon the promise, but God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Okay? The promise of God, the inheritance that we have, comes not because we've been so great that God says you deserve all the riches I'm going to give you. It comes because he is so great and says I'm going to give you all kinds of great things in his grace. And from Abraham through, the inheritance has always been clutched to solely by faith. That's the purpose of it, right? And the law was not given so that we could receive the inheritance. That's not the purpose of the law. So he goes on and he says justification also comes by faith, not law. And he asks then in this thing, what then is the purpose of the law? I mean, if you get to this point and you think, all right, the spirit comes by faith, not law, and the promise comes by faith, not law, and redemption comes by faith, not law, and the inheritance comes by faith, not law, what's the purpose of the law? And Paul sees that and he asks the question. He says, why then was the law given at all? And here's the answer from God's word. He says, it was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful. But God gave us the law because, okay, it says right here, because it was added because of transgression. God gave us the law because we're sinners, right? And it says this, and he gave it to us to help us out until Jesus came. The law was given because we sin. And so to help us here until Jesus came. That was the purpose of the law. Now let me point this out. Uh, last week we did a, uh, a, a that gospel lab thing that talked about what Paul was talking about before and he discusses law a little bit in that. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't come for the sick, he said. He came for, or he didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick, Right? Uh, um, Amy pointed out this week, he said that Jesus didn't come for, uh, he came for the sick, not the smug. That's it. Jesus came for the sick, not the smug. That was the idea, right? Because we're all sick. We just don't all know it. And the purpose of Jesus or the law, when God gave us the law, according to Romans, it tells us this. The law shows us that we're not perfect. Because remember, we have that poison from Eden. Oftentimes, we do what we think is right and best, and we think we're pretty darn good people. Right? I mean, most of us walk around not thinking I'm a horrible person. We think, I'm pretty good. I keep my law pretty awesome. But we're breaking God's law all the time. 
and we're damaged, right? And we're, we're, we're broken and we're dirty. And what the law does, why God gave it to his people is so they would recognize they needed a savior. He gives us the law so it can show us the fact that, that really we don't deserve all of these things in and of ourselves. The law was given right now to show us uh, that, that, that without somebody to purify us, we are hopelessly contaminated. In fact, last week, I had this, this picture that was like a, a vase that stood for people, and it was clear water, and that's like you and purity, right? And then if you take the law, right, which is uh, like also pure and good, but then you take this person that is good and you add sin into the person and it all, all clouds up, right? And then you pour the law into it. It doesn't make the person any more pure, right? It just makes it more obvious that they're tainted. And that's the purpose of the law. That's why God gave it to us. So if you're looking for the law to bring you justification, you're in, pro- I mean, you're in trouble, right? You don't take a criminal before court and they say, well, what is he accused of for murder? And did he kill somebody? Yes. Did he do it with premeditated, you know, premeditated intent? Yes. And then you say, and so therefore we should acquit, right? You don't take the law to try to get, <laughs> to try to get justification unless you really want justice. And really for us, justice would be our condemnation. And so he says, if you want justification, if you want to be made right with God, it's certainly never been through law. The law is only going to show you how dirty you really are. And that's the point of it. So it says in our memory verse, so the law was our guardian until Christ came. Right? That we might be justified by faith. The law there was really to show us without God, there really is no hope. That's his point. That's his guardian. It brings us to the point so we can be on our knees before God and say, I need you. And that's really, really what it takes for us as humans because we're pretty prideful. So the law was our guardian. It brings us to Christ. And if it brought us to Christ, then it did its job. And it says, now that this faith has come, we no longer need a guardian. And Paul goes and he gives us great description about that, about why that works. But the law led us to Jesus. That was its job. That's why God gave it. But justification? Let's not deceive ourselves into thinking that if somehow I apply enough law to my life, I will be justified before God. That's crazy talk. Justification comes by faith, not by law. And then he goes on, the so what about that? And this is the coolest part. Identity also comes by faith and not law. The whole issue that Paul is addressing here is who are the people of God? Right? That's the issue. Are the people of God those who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior? Are those people of God or the people of God those that are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior that are first Jews and abide by all the laws and deserve God's grace? Who are the people of God? And he goes back to where does identity come from? He says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Identity comes not from the laws we keep, but by the God who keeps us. Right? That's our identity. We are children of God, not because I deserve to be a child of God, but because God was so good, he wanted me to be his child. And he made a way for me to be his child. That's where my identity comes from. So think about this in terms of church and denominations, right? How often do we set a rule or a standard, right, that God doesn't set? And we say, well, if you do these things, then we'll accept that you're, 
this is what people of God look like. Because people of God look like me, smell like me, talk like me, and like the same kind of foods I do, right? Clearly. But that's not where our identity comes from. The identity as a Christian doesn't come from the fact that you are so perfect and pure and right. That's not what makes you a Christian. If we're identifying with those things, if we say, look at my life, look how good I am, and that's what makes me a Christian, you've missed the point. And all people are going to see when they look at you is they will see law, religion, hypocrisy, because none of us are perfect, right? And that's not very beautiful. But when our identity is in Jesus, when we, when we say, I am a Christian, not because I'm so great, in fact, far from it, despite the fact that I am not perfect, you can see God in me. And here's where the power of it comes in. Y'all, because I, I see the wheels turning, you say, what about grace abuse? What about people who say, well, then I'm just going to keep sinning? Well, Paul addressed that last week, but we'll address it right now. The Spirit is in your life. Don't forget, this is the Spirit of God. He created everything out of nothing. He is brilliant beyond brilliant. He is powerful beyond your wildest imagination. If the Spirit of God is in you, good luck not changing. That's why, that is exactly why, James talks about, he says, you know what, if faith without works is dead, not so much we've got to do work so our faith is alive, but living faith will work itself out. It will. You want to be a person of love and of kindness, compassion, of godliness, of, of character? Do you think that's going to come by looking at a list of rules and saying, man, I wish I was that way? No, it comes by having the Spirit in your life. It comes by spending daily time with God and allowing the Spirit to have His way in you. Then you change. You can't help yourself becoming loving. You won't be able to stop yourself becoming more patient and forgiving and kind and good and compassionate. You see, when we have a faith like that, when people look at you, they don't say, wow, that's a righteous person. They say, wow, that's a righteous God. <laughs> look what he did. Look what he did. And our identity as children of God is secure, not because we earned it, but because God earned it in us. What a powerful thing. So I'm going to wrap this sermon up because I went a little long because I got excited. <laughs> so as the worship team comes up, I want you to pull your green sheets out. And, and as you do, that um, let's just summarize some of these truths. Paul goes in here and he starts out, and I mean, he just does the boom, boom with religion thing. He says, listen, everything that we are looking for in the Christian faith, not just for salvation, but then the much more, right? (laughs) This is how, this is the power of it. The spirit comes by faith, not law. The promise comes by faith, not law. Redemption comes by faith, not law. Inheritance comes by faith, not law. Justification comes by faith, not law. Identity comes by faith, not law. Do you get it? Our Christian stand, we stand in Christ by faith. So don't lose that faith. If God is real, act like he's real. Bow the knee before him and say, God, I serve you. If you believe that God can save you, then let him save you. If you need help, ask God for help, knowing that he's going to do that. If you have sin in your life, believe that it's the God who can justify you. 
right? So confess your sins, but then hand it over to him. Work with the Spirit as he helps you resist those things, right? Knowing that he doesn't love you more or less because you're changed, but he loves you enough to change you. Come to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what do you do with that? Well, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't come to Jesus but out of faith yet. Maybe religion to you up to this point has been rules and things you do in a club you join that, so you can, you can live a certain way and that's where your identity comes from. And God has so much more for you than that. If you're living your life with law, then recognize, let that law be a guardian to you. Let that law show you that you are broken, like all of us. Let that law bring you to a point where you recognize that you need a Savior, that you're never going to be good enough to earn God's favor, and that's okay because He saved you. That you have His favor in Christ. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then why not do that today? Why keep living on the treadmill of law and working, working, working? If you need to make that decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to step out of law and to step into grace and faith and to allow the Holy Spirit to enter your life and to allow God's goodness to start working in you, then I invite you to make that decision today. Why put it off any longer? He'll make you right instantly. You will have favor. You'll be a child of promise instantly. Day one. And every day since then, he's going to be transforming you, writing his law into your heart, transforming you into the person that he originally designed you to be, the person that you desperately want to be. If you need to make that decision, so I want you to do. First thing is, uh, on this little green card, it says starting a relationship with Jesus. I want you to check that. I want you to put it in our offering. So we're going to be taking our offering here in just a few minutes. And you can put that in the basket. What that does for me is to make sure that I didn't miss somebody <laughs> and that we can follow up with you. Because to be honest, I get Sunday Teflon brain. So I want to make sure this is a big deal. But there's something more important that I want you to do. After I'm done, I'm going to pray. We're going to take the offering. I'm going to stand in the back. And if you need to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to come talk to me. This is not a sales pitch. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong journey. This, this, like I said, it's not a sales pitch. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to the... To, to be part of the greatest family ever. And I will be back there and I will share with you what does it mean to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, what do you do? I mean, you can talk with, with any of them, Keith or, or Mike or uh, Larry or anybody, any of the guys that are up here, Ryan. Or, uh, come talk to us. And we'll talk to you. How do you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you've already followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if by faith you've accepted God's grace, then here's, here's some challenges that I have for you, some commitments that maybe you can make. The first one is to memorize this is Galatians 3.24. Why? Because in my life, I know that there are times where I am tempted to turn back to law for the wrong things. I'm tempted sometimes to look at the law to try to, rip, to justify me. Say, I, I obey this law better than that person, so I'm more righteous. The law needs to continually bring me to my knees as I recognize that I still need a Savior. If you need that, memorize this passage. Recognize the guardian that it is. To appreciate the law for what it is. Or maybe it's this. Maybe it's to accept God's forgiveness by faith. Maybe you're a believer, but you know what? You've messed up. Welcome to the club. Or maybe there's shame in your life. And you're, and you're upset with this yourself. Because it's not just guilt, but shame and you're holding things back from God and from serving God because you have sin in your life. Maybe what you need to do is recognize that you're still a child of promise. You are still forgiven. And to let that God who saved you 
back into your life and, and to, to say, you know what? I'm going to confess my sin knowing that He's going to forgive me and He's going to purify me and He's going to, he's going to redeem me from this. Maybe today you have that, that shame in your life. You need to commit. I'm going to accept God's forgiveness by faith. Go to Him in that confession and that repentance. He'll meet you there. Or maybe it's to cling to God's promises by faith. We live in a world that tells us that God isn't real. We live in a world that tells us that what we should live for are the things that we can see and smell and taste and touch. And we know that that's not the reality. We have a hope that's not in this world. We have a promise that's greater than anything this world can offer. Maybe in your life as you look at this fall and you look at the busyness and everything that's coming up and you say, you know what? My first thing, I'm clinging to that promise. I am living for the kingdom first because that's what matters. I'm a child of promise and I'm not going to give that up. And by faith, know that it's yours. Or maybe it's to engage in God's work by faith. Maybe it's to say, you know what? God is doing something here. God is working in our community. He's called us to something, right? He's called us not to just hold on to this, but to share this message. And I can't just sit. I need to engage in God's work. There's a ministry that He has for me by faith. You might not feel worthy of it, but God has made you worthy of it. And to say, by faith, I'm going to step out and I'm going to serve in His name. I'm going to love other people because He's going to empower me to do that. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. Or maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else I didn't think of. And if there is... Well, then I encourage you to write that down. Why? Because I'll pray for you this week. Our staff will pray for you. That's one of the ways we'd love to serve you as you make those commitments to, to love God. Or maybe there's a prayer request you have. We, we will. We'd love to pray for you. Um, write those things down now. In just a minute, we'll be taking our offering. What I want you to do is to take this green card and put it in the offering basket along with your tithes and offerings. The tithes and offerings, in obedience and in joy to God because He takes care of us, an investment in His kingdom. And this is another way of investing your heart and your soul and your spirit to His good work. So let's pray for the offerings now before we take them. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are a kind and a gracious and a powerful God. And you are worthy of of our greatest uh, admiration and our greatest devotion. And Father, we recognize that we don't always follow you the way that we ought to. And uh, Lord, that bothers us because we're still broken. But we thank you that you didn't give us a list of rules to earn your favor but that you gave us a Savior who redeems us and justifies us and restores us and doesn't just save us, God, but you also sent the Spirit to sanctify us. And Lord, by faith, I pray that you help us to cling to you. I pray by faith we would, we would work alongside your Holy Spirit and not against him as he transforms us. Father, by faith, I ask that you would help us to glorify you as we work with you for, gosh, the the salvation of this nation. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you yet, that you would give them the, 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 the boldness, the ability, the courage to bend a kneel to you this morning, knowing that you're a God that redeems. Help them come to you in submission and joy, Father, and to receive the salvation and the identity that's could be theirs that you offer in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.